0: We are in part two of this series, and we're looking at this story that we know so well for many of us, and some of you may not, which is fine, that should never have survived Rome, It should never have survived Nero. And this story that we're talking about was told by Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, and interestingly enough, one of his closest friends. And Peter tells us the story of Jesus' of Nazareth, but not to an audience like this, not to an audience in a synagogue or a courtyard. He tells it to an audience of one, and that one person, his name is John Mark. And John Mark was Jesus's traveling, or Peter's tra- traveling companion. It was his friend. Because for 30 years, Peter's been traveling around telling the story of Jesus. And because Jesus was so famous and the movement was growing 2,000 years ago, everywhere Peter went, people would say, hey, tell us about Jesus. Tell us what he said. Tell us about that one time. Tell us about that incident. Explain to us again what he was like. And he's been telling the story, but now it's near the end of Peter's life. We're we're pretty sure he's in prison. He's probably in there with John Mark, and John Mark's like, Peter, you got to tell the story one more time of the story of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to document it, because future generations need to know what happened, and they need to understand it and be able to hold on to this recollection of Jesus' life. Now, I just want to say this. Many of us in this place, we love the Scripture, and we love the Bible, but I also recognize that many of you are here, and the Bible's a scary thing for you, and you struggle with it. And it's scary because you know maybe once upon a time in your life, someone beat you up with the Bible. Or maybe you read some stuff that felt like it was a conflict when you tried to make sense of it. Or maybe you just don't know how to make sense of it. And I just want you to know, I understand that. And you're in a great place if the Bible is a struggle for you. And so as we walk through this series and this message today, I hope you don't just hear the Bible. I hope you hear the story of one of Jesus' closest friends and followers tell his story. Peter's eyewitness story of what he heard and what he literally saw. And this is the thing that Peter starts off with, that he was convinced when he dictated this story to John Mark. He said the beginning, like where it began, of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So Peter, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I think he's the Messiah, I think he's the Son of God. But here's the other thing. Peter believed with all of his heart that Jesus showing up on the planet was good news, he was convinced of it. And if for some reason your version of Christianity, your version of church, your version of Jesus is not good news for you. Like somehow you think of it and you think it's bad news or hateful news or you know, runaway news, you don't have Peter's version of the story because he knew Jesus and he thought Jesus was coming to this planet was just really good news. And so he tells us this narrative of what happened. He goes on, he says, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And, and, And understand, when we talk about the good news often, and this is part of it, we think that Jesus died for our sins, which he did, and he rose from the dead, which he did, and now we get to go to heaven if we believe forever, and that's good news for us. But remember that when Jesus took off in this earthly ministry for three years, he didn't talk about that part of his journey and mission till the end. And his resurrection punctuated and it proved everything he taught. But for like two and a half years, he talked about this idea of good news. And Peter heard this over and over and had it ingrained into his soul and his heart. And here's what Jesus would say over and over, that the time has come. The time that all religions have been waiting for. That Israel has been waiting expectantly upon. The world has been waiting for this thing to happen. The time has come that the kingdom of God has come near. That the kingdom of God has come to earth to join us. And if you want to understand what the kingdom of God is like, your best bet is to understand the king. Because the king has come to town, and he wants to be near his people, and we're going to take all our cues from this king. And then Jesus would say, I'm that king, and here's what I'm going to ask of everyone that wants to follow me. I'm going to ask you to repent and believe the good news. Now this word we talked about this last week, repent, when we think of it, it's like you know, some angry pastor yelling at us, going, repent of your sin, repent of your sin. And there's certainly part of that in our faith journey, to walk away from our sin. But when Jesus came, the idea of repent was turn in the other direction. The way you see God, the way you see the world, the way you see good and evil, and turn towards my way of seeing the world. Because Jesus introduced this way of seeing the world that was so different. Repent and follow me that I am the authority of all things. And if you embrace me, you'll embrace my kingdom. And then believe, and this word believe, every time you see it in the New Testament, It's believe, but it's also trust, that I want you to trust my way and trust my kingdom, and there's going to be some things I'm going to ask you to do that's hard, and it's a struggle, and it might cost you something, but trust, it's the best way for your life to go and for your kingdom to repent and believe the good news. Now, it's so interesting, because almost everywhere Jesus went, a crowd appears. And and when you look through the book of Mark, the the New Testament Gospel of Mark, almost in every chapter but one, there's always a crowd, because they wanted to hear this good news. So Jesus is traveling around, and this is what Peter tells Mark to write down. He said, the people—we saw this happen over and over. They were amazed at his teaching. It was like he was there from the beginning. It's like when he talked about creation, he actually created it. It was the oddest thing. Remember, they don't understand all this in the moment. They understood it later. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law and news about Next slide. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, for the rest of the series, we're going to be using this map to kind of understand this journey, because Mark talks a lot about the journey of Jesus. So this is Jerusalem. This is Is the map of Israel. This is Jerusalem way down here. This is the Dead Sea. Jesus got baptized down here somewhere in the Jordan. And after his baptism, he traveled all the way north, up around the sea, of Galilee, and this is where he did a lot of his work and his teaching and his ministry. So word spreads as Jesus is walking around the Sea of Galilee, and so what Peter goes to next is, yeah, Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee, and Peter gives us three narratives. Like, okay, Mark, let me think about what do we want to make sure gets down on paper. Write these three narratives. Let me tell you three things that happened in Jesus's life, and these three stories, I mean, they're disturbing, especially 2,000 years ago, but maybe today for us as religious people. They're motivating, they're disruptive, and they remake you think the kingdom of God as we understood it. And I just want to give you a quick three-part summary of where Jesus, through the eyes of Peter, takes us. So, so, this is what we're going to witness happen, that he, Jesus, ignored certain religious protocols. And you guys understand this. You guys have shown up to religious circles, religious institutions like church and other things, and there's just protocols. There's certain things you have to wear, there's certain things you, the way you dress, there's certain the ways men should act and women should act, there's certain ways to pray, there's certain rituals we all do, and we see Jesus literally ignore the religious protocols of his day, and and that's disturbing to a lot of people. And then he claimed to have the authority to forgive sin, and this really ticked people off. Because he would just make this bold claim, I have the ability to forgive your sin, we're going to talk about that. But the thing that might disturb some of us the most, I actually really enjoy when I read this about Jesus, is that he was uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. He was so comfortable. And it's a shock for some of us that grew up in the church world, because we're like, listen, we can't ever be comfortable with people that are broken and sinful, and Jesus was really comfortable. And we're going to go down this road, and I just want you to know that these three things are the reason we started our church, because when we saw that Jesus did this for the world, We thought the whole world has to know it, that's why we launched our church. The terrible, the heartbreaking thing is after Jesus did these three things, 300 years later, the church, the institution of the church, reenacted all these things back into the church, and it sent the church off course from what Jesus originally called it to be in the first place. And here's why I tell you all this, because one of these three things might be the reason you stayed away from faith. One of these three things is the reason that you walked away from faith, because you thought, listen, I can't be forgiven, I can't be accepted, I'm not willing to jump through all these weird religious hoops, and Peter would look at you and just go, hang in there. Don't give up. If you came today because you're looking for hope in a broken world, Jesus went beyond anyone else to open the door to say, you can come and be part of my kingdom, and he reversed the order of things. Okay, so Peter, what did he do next? Glad you asked, Peter would say. So he, Jesus, traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Well, that's pretty impressive. I'm not sure how you drive out a demon, but that's what he did. And then a man with leprosy came to him. Now, you got to know something about leprosy. Leprosy was a terrible skin disease, which you probably know. But if you had any kind of skin disease 2,000 years ago, they just said, you know, you're so scary no matter what you have, you're going to the leper colony. And you'd be shunned, and you'd be banned, and you had to live with a really sick group of people. And what we understand is that if you had leprosy 2,000 years ago, you kind of hovered between heaven and earth, because you couldn't really die, but you really couldn't live either. I mean, you would be shunned to this colony, and you'd have to watch your kids grow up from afar and never get to interact with your children. You couldn't really live, you really couldn't die. You'd watch your spouse become your ex-spouse to becoming someone else's spouse because you were off in this shunned world. You'd watch somebody else take over your business or your farm that you'd have to leave from afar because you really couldn't live and you really couldn't die. And for some of you, you would say, listen, I don't have leprosy, but I kind of get that. Because right now I, I'm not really ready to die, but I'm not really living either. I, I'm kind of in a place where I don't have full life. And Peter would smile at you and he'd smile at me and go, yeah, that's why we all need an interaction with Jesus to change our lives. And certainly 2,000 years ago, the thing you would never do, never, ever, ever do was touch a leopard for your own health reasons, but because of religious reasons also. And so Peter, he says, a man with leprosy came to him and he begged him, because this is how bad this disease was, on his knees, and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this is such an important thing that we miss, because this is a picture of perfect faith. This is huge. If you're willing, you can make me clean. In other words, Jesus, I'm coming to you, and I want you to know that I'm confident. I'm confident Jesus can heal me. That's faith, right? And I'm hopeful. That he will. That is a picture of perfect faith. Now a lot of us aren't there yet, but this is what perfect faith looks like. I'm confident you can, I believe you have the power, and I'm hopeful you will. I'm hoping you'll do what I ask. I'm confident and I'm hopeful. I'm confident and I'm hopeful. Now if you ever run into somebody like me that says you can be confident in God and then if you say the right prayer, he's going to do whatever you say, run away. I'm just telling you, run away. If you ever run into somebody that says you can be confident in God and you can talk God into, or you can pray God into, or you can sing God into, that is not perfect faith. That's called perfect manipulation, and that is not the way God works. And this simple leper comes and says, I believe you can, and I'm hopeful you will. I believe you can, and I'm hopeful you will. And Jesus' reaction... It's really kind of amazing, and you get the sense that Peter goes, all right, Mark, make sure you write this down, because what Jesus says next, some scribes in the early manuscripts of the New Testament tried to take this word out and change it. But in our oldest manuscripts, the one we're using today, this is the original word that we believe that Jesus said. Peter said Jesus was indignant. And there's all this emotion around this Greek word indignant, and he was angry. He was frustrated. He, he was ticked off. Now understand, he was not ticked off because a leper approached him. He was not ticked off because a leper asked him something. He was indignant because of the way this man that was created by God was being treated by people that should have known better. Especially the religious leaders. It's like Peter says, this Jesus is, it was like he just said, this shouldn't be this way. To which Peter says, Jesus reached out his hand. And I'm sure at the time, Peter was like, don't reach out your hand, don't touch him. Because if you touch him, Jesus, okay, you might get sick, but worse off, you'll be ceremonially unclean. Now, now go back to our map. And any time a Jewish person, but especially a Jewish rabbi, became ceremonially unclean by touching someone with a le- like a leper, he'd have to travel from wherever he was—at this point, it's up in the Sea of Galilee—six or seven days by foot all the way back down to Jerusalem. And you'd go to the temple, and you'd make sacrifices, and you'd go through all these religious steps so you could be clean again. And then they'd have to travel all the way back to where they were. And Peter's like, Jesus, don't touch him, because if you do, you're gonna mess up our plans and your plans, and you're not gonna be like the righteous person. Just don't do that. And again, what Jesus did just probably shocked Peter. Peter tells us, he, Jesus, reached out his hand and. He touched him because Jesus decided that people were more important than the purity laws that were enacted through the religious system of his people. He chose to meet the needs of a man that really needed him versus would go through all these religious hoops. And in those days, religious correctness and political correct- correctness were all bound together. And Jesus just went, I don't care about that. I care about this human being that was made in my image, and all this that was blended together, Jesus just jumped over. And I'm sure at the time, and as Peter recalled it, it was so scary. It was so dangerous, but it was so refreshing. Jesus says, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to do what you said. And then he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy, it left him, and he was cleansed. And then Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you do not tell this to anyone. And what did the leper do? He told everyone. It's kind of like why you don't tell your four-year-old child that mama's pregnant again, but keep it a secret, because she's going to tell everybody, right? You don't tell one sibling what the rest are getting, because they're going to tell everybody. Well, the leper just goes out and he tells everybody. But this is what Jesus wanted him to do. He said instead of telling everybody, go. And here's the tension that you find you know, in Jesus' ministry at this time, and you see this over and over again. He says, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In other words, we'll look at our map again. In other words, what I want you to do is make that journey that I'm not going to make, but you are. They want me to do it, I'm not doing it, but I want you to do this, and I want you to go down to Jerusalem, show yourself to a priest, and he's going to give you a certificate as a clean bill of health. You can show it to people, to let them into the, they'll let you into restaurants, and the synagogue, and then go make a gratitude offering to show that you're thankful to God, and let it be a witness to what I've done. But here's the kicker. I want you to do it, but I'm not going to do it. And this is an important thing to understand. And you may run into this as you read Mark's writings, that there was a tension in the time, this time of Jesus because it was in transition. The old things were passing away, and the new thing was coming. And in the transition, Jesus would lever, lever some of those old ways of thinking. But he doesn't go because he's got more important things to do. And this kingdom of God has shown up. And look what happens when Jesus did this. This is what we're told. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. Well, of course they did. Because he was doing these amazing things. And he was swamped by people wherever he goes. And Peter keeps telling us the story, we'll go back to our map, and so they they start to move up around the Sea of Galilee, and they were always in need of supplies, and they would always have to go into cities and towns to get more supplies, because food didn't last very long, even with Jesus, because he lived as a human more than anything else. And so they'd stop, and they resupply, and people would find him. And so now, Jesus finds himself in another interesting situation, and he's teaching. And this is what Peter says. Yeah, we gathered in such large numbers, they gathered in such large numbers, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So what's happened is um, Jesus is teaching and he gathers people up in this large, large house, probably a rich person's house. And people just pack in, they're like shoulder to shoulder because they want to hear this good news that's coming. And he said there was no room left, now back up just a second, there's no room left outside the door and he preached the word to them. Now what did he preach, that's the question. What was his message over and over? And again, his message over and over was, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. I'm I'm right here, do you guys get it? Now repent and believe the good news, repent. I mean, turn from your sin, of course, but what I want you to do is turn and see you, and see God, and see other people the way I see them. So you have a right perspective, because when you have my perspective, everything else from the inside out will change in you and embrace my way of seeing things. Well, why he's speaking to this pat group in this large house, Peter says, yeah, some men came, and bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. In other words, one dude who's paralyzed is on some kind of mat or some kind of tarp, and the other four have each corner, and they carry, Jesus, or they carry this man in to Jesus. But, you know, you can't get them close to Jesus because the place is packed. And so these four guys and the guy they're carrying, they disappear. And a few minutes later, the ceiling starts to drop dust on them. Kind of like when your dad or maybe your mom went up in the attic in your house when you were a kid, and your dad would be banging around in the attic, and a little bit of dust would fall. They're like, what is going on? And then pieces of the roof came down, and then noise and clutter and clamor. And Peter smiled. And this is what he said. Since they could not get him to Jesus because the crowd was so big, because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now this is a place, someday, when I get to sit with Peter in heaven that I'm going to ask Peter for more detail, because don't you wish there was more detail in this story? Like, okay, Peter, how long did this whole thing take as they're pulling the roof off the top of the house? And Peter, what was the owner of the house doing in this moment? Because if it was my house, and some dudes were pulling my roof apart to drop somebody through it, I would be ticked and throwing guys out the window. So what's going on, Peter? Don't you want to know the rest of this intriguing story, and what kind of mess did it make, and what was it like when the first little beam of light—and by the way, what did what did Jesus do? Did he just wait? Did he just smile because he knew what was coming? I mean, what was the story? Eventually they tear a hole in this roof, and they drop this paralyzed man down through the hole in the roof. And this is what, this is what Peter recollects, and he tells Mark, and Mark writes down that when Jesus saw their faith—and how do you see faith? Well, I'm just guessing it's a little bit like the leopard. These four guys drop their buddy down, and they need Jesus to heal him. And they were confident Jesus could. And they were hoping He would. They believed He could do it. And they were hoping He would follow through with it. And everyone's watching. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, and Pe- Peter was probably thinking in the moment, oh, yeah, I know what He's going to say. He's going to say, get up and walk. He's gonna say you're healed just like the leopard. But Jesus, in this moment, twists that story. He turns things upside down like he always does. And it's incredible, so when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. To which, in that moment, I would guess that the crowd all groaned because the crowd knew that no human being had the power to forgive sin. And I'm willing to guess that the guy that was paralyzed groaned just a little bit, because that is not why he came, right? He came to get healed. He came to walk again. I mean, yeah, Jesus, I want to be healed, but I really need help in my physical body. And maybe you face that. you got some kind of crisis going on, one of your kids is sick. And you know you need forgiveness, but you're way more concerned about your sick kid than you are anything inside you, right? And this guy's not thinking about forgiveness, he's thinking, I need you to heal me. And people were frustrated, and we know that by what Peter tells us next when Jesus said this. He said, now, some teachers of the law, you know, pastors, religious leaders, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He's like breaking the God code among us. Because who who can forgive sin but God alone? I mean, they don't have a category for what Jesus just said. They have a system. You go to church, you go to a priest, you go through all these hoops, this is the only way you can repent and find forgiveness, and Jesus says, no, I'm just gonna forgive him right here on the spot. Now I love this next part, because Jesus looks at these religious leaders and he says to them, why are you thinking these things? And I wonder if Peter's thinking, oh, I, I didn't realize this. Jesus can cast out demons, he can heal lepers, and he can read minds, that's a pretty cool thing. I better watch what I'm thinking. In fact, that thought I was just thinking, I gotta go away, go, you know, go away, get out of my head, because Jesus knows what I'm thinking. And Jesus smiles, and he simply says, which is easier? To say that this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and take your mat and walk. And it's not a trick question, it's a real question. Because I can say your sins are forgiven, this is Jesus' point, and you don't really know if they are, so you just pretend, because when someone says sorry to you, you're not really sure if they mean it, right? But if I say you can walk, you got to get up and walk, so which is easier? Which one? And in ancient times, this is a really important thing to understand about this paralyzed man, that in ancient times people believed that if something bad happened to you, it was because you sinned. Something you did bad, you had to pay a price in some way, or your children, or your grandchildren. And so if someone was blind, couldn't walk, couldn't hear, it's because they had sinned or their parents sinned. Can you imagine taking that view of God? Now Jesus just threw that view of God out the window. He just did away with it, because Jesus believed in the Genesis view of sin. Jesus believed, as we're taught in the book of Genesis, that when sin came in the world, It opened the door for pain and suffering to the whole world, and everybody faces the consequence of sin. It's why you may have read something that says that the sun shines on the just and the unjust, that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know people that are good that have suffered, and you know people bad that have suffered and prospered. That sin brought pain and paralyzation into the world, but it's not a one-to-one correlation. This is what people believed. That's something wrong with you because you did something wrong, as simple as that. And Jesus just said, no, that's not the way this works. Then he says this, but I want you to know that the son of man, and that was so offensive to say, because he's equating himself to God at this moment, has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is so offensive. Now, here's what's interesting. The way you forgive sin is that you undo sin's consequence. And then so Jesus smiles because he's going to undo the consequence of sin in our world. So, he said to them, I tell you, get up and take your mat and just go home. And in that moment you could have heard a pin drop. Because what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to reverse the consequence of sin. I'm going to put the toothpaste back in the tube. and." you will know that sin has been forgiven and sure enough when he says that peter smiled again i can't believe this happened he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them of them all mark write this down Mark, fact check this. Mark, if you want to after I'm gone, you can go back to the Sea of Galilee. You can go back to Capernaum and you can get to that person's house and you can talk to some of those people that were still alive because they'll tell you what I saw because they saw it too. And what did the people say after this happened? We have never seen anything like this. Now I want to get back to the story in just a minute because I ask you a question. Have you ever wondered... If there is a sin that you've committed and committed again and then said you're sorry and then committed again and again and again that God would or could forgive you for, have you ever wondered that? That when it's all said and done, you carry the weight of that and there is no peace? Have you ever wondered if Jesus would forgive you and would give you peace? Peter would smile at you and say, God absolutely can and will forgive you of that sin and all sins, that you could have peace. And you would say, why, Peter? Why do you know this? It was because the message of Jesus was simple, that the time has come. That the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent that forgiveness is in front of you and you can embrace it and you can hold on to it. Peter had heard this a thousand times from Jesus. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to kill animals for it. You don't have to sacrifice for it. You have to accept this gift that God has given you through his sacrifice of his son. And I'm telling you, it's free and it's good news for all of us. And the paralyzed man walked out that day And believed. Now, back to our map. So, Jesus keeps making his way around the Sea of Galilee and around the area of Capernaum. Now, this is fascinating in this third narrative story that Peter gives us. Because this is where Peter grew up. He grew up in a fishing village. Now, they probably ran out of supplies again, so they had to go to Capernaum to get you know, groceries. They probably had a Costco there, right? So you get a lot of snacks for a little bit of money, and the wine was really cheap. So they go to Costco, they load, don't lie, you know you go to Costco for that reason, so why? So they go to Capernaum and they load up, they got a you know, 15 pack of, um, toilet paper so they're all set to go and they keep going now here's what's fascinating when peter goes to this place this is his hometown so he knows everyone he's familiar with everyone and he said as he <laughs> and me peter would say as we walked along he saw levi also known as matthew the son of Alphaeus. now pause there just for a second yeah, i wonder if mark said well Peter, how do, you, how do you know that Levi's dad was Alphaeus? Well, I grew up in that place. I, I knew this family. W- which probably means that you know, Peter and Levi had had interactions. This is just not a place in a book. This is a place that Peter knew intimately well. This is a place with people and real things that happen here. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting, this is so heavy, this is where the music changes, at the tax collector's booth. Now, a tax collector, as many of you know, we talk about this all the time, was a customs officer for King Herod. And he would be part of the taxation of people to the point where they could almost not survive. And the king would take and take and take. And if you were a tax collector, it means you were representing the enemy. And the tax collectors, as many of you know, then they would take extra for themselves. And so people were taxed to the point where they could barely survive, and people just hated these tax collectors. And they had not only betrayed God, they betrayed their own people. And most likely, as you said earlier, probably um, Levi, Matthew, And Peter had interactions. As a fisherman, Peter probably had to pay taxes, and he was robbed by this guy, this Levi guy, right? And he says, Jesus sees him. And I wonder if Jesus just paused, and he stares for a good long while at Levi. And Peter notices that, and he's like, oh yeah, now it's on, get him, Jesus. Thunderbolts, lightning, make him have leprosy, at least give him hemorrhoids, give him something for all the money that he's, come on, you've prayed that Prayed that prayer about the IRS before. Give him something, Jesus. And Peter's just like, now it's on. Now justice is coming to town. Let him have it. Jesus walks up to Levi and he says, Follow me. Follow me. Are you kidding me? Yeah, follow me. I'm telling you. I would tell this story in our church every Sunday if I could get away with it. I love it so much. And Peter's probably like, Well, well Jesus, listen. All right. I get the leper guy, and I'm sure he had sin, but we didn't know how much sin he had in his life, because remember, Peter's still seeing things the old way. And the guy that was paralyzed, we didn't really know how much sin was in his life, so okay, I get that. But the tax collector, we know how much he has sinned, and he has sinned more than anybody else. It's like a big stamp on his chest how awful and dark and damaged he is. And you can't ask him to follow us. If you ask him to follow us, it's going to hurt our movement. Because you're gonna offend the rich people because Levi has been part of taxing people with a lot of money and taking most of it. It's gonna offend the poor people because he takes almost everything they have left and everybody's gonna wanna walk away from us So we're gonna lose the momentum of our movement. Jesus, if you invite him to follow you, it's a lose-lose situation. And no one will wanna be with us. Besides, besides, Jesus, come on, man. We already have the perfect little small group, don't we? I mean, me and the brothers, we're all pretty tight because everybody in my group, they're just like me. They're just like Peter, and they like Peter. Isn't it true? This is how we think sometimes, and Peter liked the guys they already have, but nobody wants Levi in our group. Nobody wants this Matthew guy in our group. And maybe Peter thought, well, this is just a test because certainly if Jesus asks him to follow us, he's not going to leave all the money and the riches. He's making bank. He's rolling in the Benjamins. He's got more than he could ever imagine. He's not going to leave to go and wander with us from town to town and talk about the kingdom of God. And then to Peter and his friends, amazement and disgust, Levi got up and followed him Levi left everything, and he followed the son of man, the savior of the world, the king who had come. Now, this is a really big deal. When you read the rest of Mark, that, the book that Peter dictates, no one else that I understand specifically was called to follow Jesus by name. He'd called Peter and James. He'd called John and, and Levi. Yeah, John and Levi. And Levi was different than the other guys that he'd called. And you can't miss this because it's a contrast. Here's these good fishermen, Jewish men, young men that were called, and then the awful tax collector. Like, somehow Peter wanted to remind us of this contrast of who was invited. And maybe it's why you're here. It's maybe why you came to church today. Because you want to hear that the kingdom of God has come near. But maybe what you need to hear more is that everybody was invited to participate in it, everybody. Even people like Levi, that not only betrayed themselves, they betrayed their own people. And this is what Peter would come to realize later in life. Levi betrayed his people. Looking back, Peter would realize that he betrayed his savior. Because when his savior suffered on the cross, Peter denied and he ran, he denied and he ran. And Levi was no different than Peter. And Peter was no different than the pastor that stands on this stage. You know, you know what? There's something about interesting about a guy like me. I know a lot of the scriptures. I know them, and I know what they say, and I know how I'm supposed to follow them, and yet I still sin, and I fall, and I stumble. And Jesus looks at me and says, keep following me. And that's true of me, and that's true of you, and you, and you, and all of you online. Come on, follow. I know. I'm pretty comfortable around your mess. Now, come on, follow me. Repent and see the world differently. You'll see yourself differently. You will not be perfect. And I'm never going to ask you to live a perfect life, but I'm asking you to follow me. And the more you embrace my kingdom and the more you embrace me, things will change. Sin will diminish. Love will pour out of you. But he's invited us all. There's no category for that. No one has ever operated like that on the planet. So, why the good news was always, the time has come. The old way is passing away. All that religion, all those hoops, all that you're not good enough, that's passing away because the kingdom of God has come near. And not only the kingdom has, the king has come near. And he wants you to be near to him. And that that would collide with Peter's fear and his insecurity. Because everything that is ugly that comes out of us is because we're afraid and we're insecure and we're prejudiced. I mean, it wasn't a black man or a white man. It was another Jewish man that Peter was prejudiced against. He didn't like him because what he did and what he represented and Jesus said, now we're inviting him to our kingdom. And Peter, you had a choice. You and Andrew and John and James, you got a choice, because you guys can walk away right now, Peter. I invited you to follow, but you need to know this is where we're going, and this is who we're accepting, and I'm never going to deviate from this, but you have a choice, Peter. You can leave if you want, and I don't want you to. You can walk away, and you can take your brothers with you, and you can go be good religious people and judge the whole world and think that you're all that or. You can welcome Levi into our kingdom. And you, Peter, can repent of the way you see that guy. And you can believe, you can trust me and my ways are better. The good news that God has come, that God accepts sinners like Matthew and Levi and even you, Peter, and it's going to be a brand new kingdom and it's for everybody. And what happens next? Oh, what happens next is the most unbelievable thing. <laughs> but you're going to have to wait till next Sunday to hear it. I'm just telling you. But I don't want to miss this moment. Because for some of you, you've heard this message your whole life, and you've just, you're just numb to it. And you miss the fact that God is doing something for you and the, for the people in your life. But for some of you. You've never re- quite understood, or you've never quite paid attention. And you're here today because... Somehow you're looking for God's kingdom. You didn't even know it. And Jesus is like, come on. Come with me. Follow me. Go where I go. And I don't want to miss this moment and just breeze by it as, hey, that's just another good message. So in the next few minutes, I'm just going to invite you to consider God's kingdom. If you think you're a really good person, maybe to take Peter's lead and go, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And if you think you're a really bad person... Think about the leopard who thought he was such an outcast he could never be part of what God was doing. Or the paralyzed man that probably thought, I'm paralyzed because God's punished me, and that was not true. Or Levi's, I've sinned so much that I never could be forgiven, and all of those things were pushed to the side, and those three people were brought into what God was doing in the world. In just a second, I- I- I'm going to pray for you. Pray for me, whether you're online or in the room. And then we're going to sing this song about being invited to our Heavenly Father's house into His kingdom. And there's a line in this song that says, your story isn't over yet. And maybe for all of us, we would open ourselves up to say, God, I want you to rewrite my story. For here on out, I want you to be the author of my story. And I want to be a part of what Peter experienced of changing and repenting of the way he saw things and see the things the way you see Jesus and lean in, and let God change us from the inside out. Because you don't have to stay the leper. You don't have to stay the paralyzed person. You don't have to stay the person behind the tax table that just keeps taking for themselves. You can be part of something so much bigger and so much better. And one last thing, really quick. And this is true if you've heard this and done this whole faith thing your whole life, you're invited. And this is true if you've never been a part of following God in any way, shape, or form. You are invited. So, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you to stay in your seats and just let the words of these songs—the song will just wash over you. Lord, thank you for these stories that have been preserved over time, for Peter's story, what he saw you do, Jesus. And Lord, if anyone in this place, anyone hearing this message feels like they're in the place of one of these three men, I pray that they would just hear this simple invitation to follow you and your love and your kingdom and your way and to trust that your way is best. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.